the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I also have a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. Now, both of my great master's degrees were obtained at the beautiful um, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in beautiful downtown San Francisco. Now, both my university and the city of San Francisco are having some hard financial times. I am an avid fan of both, although I live in the also wonderful city of Oakland. But I just wanted to give a shout out to Golden Gate University School of Law and the city of San Francisco, who I consult with periodically to help business grow. Hang in there. We all will make it through together. Okay, and because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice the related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat and always will be one, (laughs) and I also helped create another one with my former spouse who was also in the military, As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. 
As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've shared with you before, I was raised by a wonderful father who gave back to this country via his service in the military. And he told me that I should give back to my community and our society as a whole through service. Although he insisted that I should not join the military because of my inquisitive nature and my need to understand the whys and hows of things before I would sometimes agree to do them. (laughs) And he said that that just might make me incompatible with the sometimes need for folks to just follow orders without question. (laughs) But he did suggest that I could become a Department of Defense defense civilian and use my inquisitive analytical nature as an analyst and not necessarily uh, have to, he wouldn't have to come necessarily come and bail me out of the brig for insubordination. (laughs) And you know what? He was right. Um, Being an analyst and working for the Department of Defense was very rewarding (laughs) in the early part of my career. In addition to a wonderful dad, on top of that, I he helped steer me in the right direction. I also had the great fortune to know and spend a lot of time with and actually become friend became friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the four great economic challenges of the 20th century. That is to say, the Great Depression, the privations of World War II, and unfortunately, the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. And as these wonderful women helped raise me and loved me and shared with me some of the wonderful stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who are always with me in spirit, urging me on along with my dad that when the situation is right, um, that through my chosen profession today to give service, that is to say in the law, I'm sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and veterans who find themselves the targets of and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse. As you could imagine, that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your small business's financial health, wealth and money related well-being as I understand these concepts in a non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need, I sincerely believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances or your assets, but especially your debt. 
So this week, we're going to continue our discussion on the key players in the bankruptcy process and provide you with an overview of their functions. So who are the key players in the bankruptcy process? They are, number one, the debtor or debtors. And those are the individuals or group of individuals, family, although it's it's the spouses or the significant others or the partners and not the children. You make sure the children understand that they're not in bankruptcy. (laughs) The adults are. Um, And so those are the individuals or persons or people or entities or entities um, that are located in a particular state, in a particular judicial district, who need the protection of the federal bankruptcy court to deal with mostly a state, but sometimes a federal financially related law or laws concerning the debtor-creditor relationship that has or may place the debtor or debtors in financial distress, meaning that they're at risk of losing something of economic value. Again, because uh, bankruptcy is In our Constitution, with the goal being Congress have uniform laws, that means that individual state laws have to yield to the supremacy clause of our our, uh, Constitution to allow bankruptcy courts to uh, decide what under normal circumstances would be handled in an individual state court. Now, Besides the debtor or debtor, there are the debtor's creditors, and those are the persons or entities to whom the debtor or debtors owe money or some other thing of economic value, and the creditors want to get paid. Then there are, next, the debtor's attorney, and these are, usually the debtor can only afford one, (laughs) these are the individual's who are fiduciaries, meaning they have a duty of loyalty to the debtor and they're hired by the debtor or debtors to assist the debtor or the debtors in running the gambit of the bankruptcy process, which is filled with opportunities for you to, you know, run into trouble and crash and burn. Then there are the creditors attorneys in plural, because usually individuals and families and businesses have multiple creditors. And the part of the bankruptcy process is to sort out who gets paid first and how much. So the creditors attorneys are individuals who are fiduciaries of the creditors, and they're hired to assist the creditors in collecting as much of the creditors outstanding balance that's owed by the debtor that's allowed under law. Then the next key player is the bankruptcy court itself. The bankruptcy court is a court in equity as well as one in law, meaning it looks beyond the law to try to do the right thing. Okay, there's the bankruptcy judge who's an Article One judge, meaning her powers and authorities come from and are rooted in Article One of our Constitution. The legislative branch is responsible for creating and amending the bankruptcy code, which is the law concerning bankruptcy. And they're not Article Three judges that are empowered by the judicial branch. However, bankruptcy judges are selected and impaneled by district court 
uh, judges and put in a particular bankruptcy court location. And would, that's appended to the local district court, an Article Three court, because bankruptcy judges utilize the rules and procedures of the Article Three judges, and they come from our Supreme Court. Then there's the judge's staff that's made up of professionals who help the judge conduct the research and perform the analysis of the various legal issues that come up in a particular debtor's case, as well as they perform some of the key administrative functions of the judge, such as keeping control of her calendar. Then there's the clerk of the court, who is an essence, the chief executive of each physical location of a bankruptcy court, who, along with her staff, are, is responsible for the smooth and efficient running of the bankruptcy court as a business and also perform most, if not all, of the non-discretionary ministerial functions of the court, such as opening up cases and closing out cases after the bankruptcy issues have been resolved. So when we come back, I'll continue our overview of the key players, and then we'll delve into a little bit more about what it is that creditors are entitled to in bankruptcy. But we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we continue our discussion of today's topic, Bankruptcy 101, what is bankruptcy and why bankruptcy is important and necessary to our economy and just how it works. Um, Before the break, I was going over the list of key players in the bankruptcy process. Again, in sum... Uh, they are the debtor or debtors, the debtor's creditors, the debtor's attorneys, the creditor's attorneys, the bankruptcy court itself, which includes the judge and his or her staff that help the judge uh, come up with those decisions. Well, well researched, <laughs> um, I would hope. <laughs> then there is the uh, executive of each uh, bankruptcy court who is the clerk of the court, and you'll see his or her name signed on most of the documents that you get um, other than orders of the bankruptcy court itself, but, you know, decrees and things like that that are basically ministerial functions. Or if you need to go get a copy of something from the bankruptcy court and you would go to um, the, the clerk of the court's office and pick up some document, it'll be signed by one of his or her deputies, okay? So there's another key player in this process that I didn't get a chance to talk about, but we need to know, and that's the Office of the United States Trustee, which is a subunit of the Department of Justice. And the Department of Justice is a functionary of what branch of the federal government? Article 2, the executive branch. And the Office of U.S. Trustee, their job, along with other officers of the court, of which lawyers who practice in front of uh, bankruptcy courts, we're considered officers of the court, meaning that we're supposed to not do anything that's not ethical or untoward, and we're supposed to tell the truth, 
So we, in conjunction with the Office of the United States Trustee, police the bankruptcy process with the goal of helping to maintain its integrity. Um, also, as part of the function, um, they, the, the Office of the U.S. Trustee is responsible for recruiting and appointing the various kinds of trustees that make appearances or, and have important functions and duties as part of the bankruptcy process, including Chapter 7 liquidating trustees. They are appointed by the Office of the United States Trustee and, and their work is supervised. Then there's Chapter 13 trustees and Chapter, uh, those are for individuals, Chapter 13, but there also is a a chapter 12 trustee, and it might just be the same person, but a chapter 12 deals with um, individuals with regular income, and that income is derived at least 50% from the business of fishing or farming. And then there's chapter 11 trustees. Usually when you file a chapter 11, the debtor in possession or the entity, the head of the business, or if it's uh, the person has to file because of their income, the debtor acts as a debtor in possession. But the function is that of a chapter 11 trustee, and their function is to uh, be fiduciaries of their creditors and try to salvage as much of their business and their income so they can pay as many of their creditors as possible. And then there's a little spin on that. There's a subchapter five, chapter 11 trustee, who is what I consider to be a hybrid between a chapter 13 trustee and um, a chapter 11 trustee. The idea is to have them be focused on aspects of the reorganization in a chapter 11 for a smaller business, and but to assist the debtor in having a good outcome and also work with the creditors. And then there's another individual called a, an examiner who is sometimes appointed by the court to ferret out the truth about the debtor's finances and her management of her business when there appears to be some kind of impropriety or the numbers just don't add up or maybe the debtor is engaging in some kind of mischief or maybe somebody else is, but the examiner doesn't take over control of running the business or the uh, Chapter 11 trustee aspects, but their role is to ferret out the facts and get, get, get a look at the books and see if they're cooked. Okay, then. Okay, so we want to focus on uh, creditors. I, I started talking last week about the powers and functions and protection for creditors. Uh, creditors of very classes are the individuals and business entities to whom the debtor in bankruptcy owes money or some form of equity or something else of value and who as a result of the debtor defaulting on her debt obligations, her promises to repay the creditors or the creditors, plural, uh, such as her landlord or the individuals that put together, fabricate the product that she sells or provide her services or the mortgage holders, they just want to get paid and they want to figure out, you know, how they can take part in the bankruptcy process to make sure that happens. So what is it that provides the basis for the protection of creditors in bankruptcy? Um, what property rights guarantees are afforded creditors under the bankruptcy code? Well, as I shared with you last time, there's the due process and takings clause. I keep focusing um audience that we as individuals need to become familiar with the United States Constitution because bankruptcy to me is a 
excellent example of federalism. Okay, so what do I mean by federalism? It's the melding together of the various branches of government and individuals and states. Okay, so we have Article 1, Congress creates the bankruptcy code. We have Article 2, the executive branch, the Office of the United States Trustee is part of the the Department of Justice, which comes under the executive branch. There's judiciary. While bankruptcy judges are Article 1 judges, they are appended to Article 3 courts and the rules of how um, um, the judges conduct the business of the bankruptcy court and how they make decisions are from the third branch, the judicial branch. Then I talked about individuals. We are residents of the states that we live in, and most of the debtor-creditor laws is state-based. So we have a court that's uh, a creature, a creature of Congress that um, follows the laws that are implemented by states and the federal government. They follow the procedures that are implemented by the judicial branch, a branch of federal government, and they make decisions that impact individuals that live in states. And the state legislatures create the laws between debtors and creditors. So that's why it's really important for us as individuals. And you say, why do, why do I need to care about the Constitution? You need to care about the Constitution because it is the... The, the blueprint, the guide of how we as individuals get along with each other and not have shootouts over who we owe and unable to pay. It's a way for people to put things on the table for us to be able to examine them. And it's especially the case when you're dealing with debtors in distress, which might cause a creditor to go in distress because he or she isn't getting paid. So we we all need to focus on uh, the good thing and the role of bankruptcy in our society. And I say we start with the United States Constitution. And that's why I keep I keep giving a plug for the interactive Constitution. So one day, next time I'll, I'll do a show just about that. But let's get back to the fact that creditors are are protected by the due process and taking clause uh, that is found in our Constitution. Okay, it's the Fifth Amendment. (laughs) And and you need to have some understanding. The goal is to make sure that because bankruptcy allows a debtor in distress to reorganize or liquidate, and that's for the greater good of society. If the government is going to be involved in taking something from the creditor, meaning that the creditor might not get full payment back of, of what is owed her, that's a taking. It was supposed to be done. Uh, if the government takes something, they're supposed to be just compensation, just J-U-S-T, fair compensation, and the creditors needs to be noticed about the uh, process from which their uh, property might be taken, meaning that they might get less back than what they are owed. And so those are two important um, protections that 
bankruptcy judges look out for creditors and creditors need to be aware of. Okay, so uh, we're out of time, so I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always, we're going to continue this until we till I really explain to you fully about creditors. But we're going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of bankruptcy and their positive effects on our economy, including uh, us small business owners and our families and individuals with the goal of making sure that our economy can sustain itself for the long haul. So until next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.